0: When it comes to the adoption of digital technologies, there's a real lack of confidence among communications professionals and perhaps a fear of the implications. I knew that
1: I needed to learn digital, but I just didn't have a clue how. So I, and I think this is common to many senior PRs, was afraid. I could see the way the world was going. I could see my career stretching ahead of me, but I couldn't see a way that I could be a really, really good PR practitioner going forward.
0: Five years ago, David Sawyer from Zoo PR was no different. But David started a journey to learn digital and to embrace new technology. He's now a digital convert who's written a book for midlife professionals that extols the virtues of new media over old. This technology would have
1: been the preserve of huge global PR organisations in the past. I've now got an advantage over them made me 10 times more sales than a double-page spread in a national newspaper.
0: In today's show, David and I talk about future-proofing your career and making digital work for you, not against you.
1: This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton.
0: David, I've been sat here trying to work out how to introduce you because you're, to me, a man of many talents. So I've come up with this. Oh, thank you. Marathon runner, wild camper, digital convert, Aldi shopper. And now best-selling author. Is that, is that a good summary?
1: Yeah, well, we, you know, you could start off with the best-selling author bit if you wanted.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And a massive congratulations, I have to say. Oh, thanks, on mate. the new book, Reset, it's now number one in Amazon, I believe.
1: Yeah, it's not number one in Amazon in its entirety. But uh, it's number one in personal finance.
0: Yeah, which is an amazing achievement. I mean, like I say, massive congratulations. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to the book in in a little while and talk a bit about how that came about and and your journey to writing it. And you've self-published as well, which is quite an undertaking. You can say that again. But to kick off then, so going back to sort of late 2013, I think it was, you saw in your old job, the world going digital. And in your words from the book, you said, at first, I raged against it. Yeah. So you kind of towed the line, you dabbled a bit in social media and what have you. But you said that you increasingly felt like a bit of a fraud, and you were kind of making it up as you went along. Do you want to explain your journey then to being more digitally enabled?
1: Yeah, well, I was the head of office for a global PR firm. So my job was very responsible. I had a team, figures to hit, board meetings to attend, and a large number of clients that I oversaw. So my priority wasn't digital. Right. I, I knew what was happening. I knew that people were moving away from print and broadcast and getting their news from elsewhere. You know, And obviously in my home life, I was very busy as well. I've got two young kids, wife lots of responsibilities and I knew that I needed to learn digital but I just didn't have a clue how and by the time I hit the sack at 11 o'clock at night there was no way even if I uh, respected or had ever read a blog post (laughs) I was going to be sitting up on my smartphone reading blog posts into the early hours just to teach myself digital. Sure. So I and I think this is common to many senior PRs, and you know, I have research that backs that up. Was afraid. Yep. I could see the way the world was going. I could see my career stretching ahead of me, but I couldn't see a way that I could be a really, really good PR practitioner going forward because my industry had changed before my eyes. So I just didn't know what to do about it. And I also, to be honest, felt I was letting my team down a little with that lack of knowledge and also letting my clients down. But of course, in a senior position, you do not want to be admitting these things. No. And if you had done, you would have found that pretty much everyone else at your level had the same fears as you across the industry.
0: Absolutely. I mean, were you feeling kind of disingenuous then in in terms of the way you were operating or was it more of a personal thing
1: my thing has always been honest no nonsense advice and you know some clients don't appreciate that but most do yeah so because i'm i'm an honest person i felt that having to mask a deficiency in an area i felt was growing in importance wasn't honest so it sort of began to if you like, eat away at
0: me. Yeah. So as part of the book Reset, you've talked about, well, there's a big section in the book about being digital enabled as being a way of helping to create financial independence in the future. Why do you think it is so important that people take that step at this stage?
1: Well, this chapter was the original premise of the overall book. Okay. When I sat down and thought about this book, it was sort of mulling over and germinating in for a few years. I first started out and thought, well, this was about 2015. And this was in the context of a year just going on a crash course in digital. I was able to do that. I was able to go off at tangents. But at the end of that year, I felt that I'd really taught myself digital in a year. and really wanted to share it with people. So the original premise of my book was something along the lines of How to Conquer Your Digital Fear, a handbook for senior PR people. That essentially would have been a business card book. I could slap it down on the table. Obviously, I would be helping people go from, as I think you've said in the past, digital dullard to (laughs) digital something else, beginning with D. And You know, it would help people, but it would also be blowing my own trumpet and saying, well, that was me and this is me now. But the book changed over a couple of years and I felt I wouldn't want to read a book like that. I had something more important to say and more universal. Okay. So if you look at that part going digital, how to future-proof your career. It's a plan that I think is universal for everybody, but its sweet spot would still be senior PR, senior comms professionals, senior marketers in the UK. However, in terms of its universality, the world has massively changed over the last 10 years, basically due to increases in broadband speed. And the way people work, for many people in many industries, is still stuck in the 1970s or 80s. And over the last 10 years, over the next 10 years, rather, with automation and such like, people's jobs and their careers are just going to change massively. And I think it's my belief that taking advantage of these opportunities presented by the increase in broadband speed will, for anyone, future-proof your career. They'll make you happier at work. They'll give you an escape plan from work. They'll get you more money. And this is by specifically raising your profile through digital.
0: Yeah, and and I did an episode of this podcast back in season two with Mark Schaefer specifically about personal branding and using digital to do that. And I know that it resonates with a lot of people because I, I think it's recognized now that using digital, whether that be social media or blogging or podcasting or vlogging or whatever it is, digital forms of media, can have a huge impact on your career now. And it's something I, well, you know that I, I push this quite heavily as well. We're in, in the same mindset where, where yeah. that comes. I want to come back to what you were saying then about the industry in general, the workplace is changing and the media changing, because it's, it's fair to say that digital is transforming pretty much every industry if not every single industry but it's especially true of pr and comms i mean this podcast for example wouldn't exist if if that weren't the case because that's yeah. what it's all about but you look at the way for example newspaper circulations have gone over the past 20 years and i've got a couple of stats here so the sun which in 2000 was the biggest newspaper had 3.6 million readers Now it's down to 1.5 million and that trend goes right the way through every single title you want to name. The mail is example 2.4 million down to 1.3. The times from 726,000 to 440,000. You can go on and on and on but the average decline across all these titles is 51% Mm. in just 18 years which is just incredible.
1: That's 15 to 20 years but the pace of change has just become much more rapid after about 2008 so you you quoted the sun there I've got the sun as 3.87 million copies in 97 right in 2007 3.21 so that's not that much of a drop but as you say I mean by 2018 it's 1.55 so it's this last 10 years and it's this last 10 years when senior PR people have got their management position and they have their responsibilities. And I think there's a lot of senior leaders out there. They see the way the world is going, but they haven't had the chance or the time to learn the new skills to benefit their clients.
0: Do you think it is that though? Do you think it is time and and the opportunity or do you think that at least in some cases or even many cases, it is just a point blank refusal to upskill and think, well, I can go through the next 15 years of my career and then I'll have retired. So it doesn't really matter. I can keep going with, with what I'm doing.
1: So I set up on my own when I was 40. Pretty much as soon as I set up on my own, I my head turned, I realized this and started saying exactly the same as you're saying there. I was saying, like, you know, people have to learn these new skills mm. to anyone I was meeting in the industry, you have to learn these new skills in 10 years, you will not be able to get by. However, five years have gone by and nothing has changed. And to be fair, I would say the vast majority of senior PR people are getting by on traditional public relations especially for people in their 50s what is the impetus to change we've just talked about the way newspapers circulations have been decimated i mean it can't get much much worse than that yeah realistically it's a difficult one to say to people well you must change because you won't have a job in five years well the reality is probably will
0: and it'll probably take them to retirement yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. But on that, then let's touch on this story that we talked about before we started recording, which is to do with the book. And you were telling me about an article that you'd had picked up by a traditional media outlet, and a same or very similar article on a blog, and the results that you got from those. You want to just tell that story?
1: Yeah, no problem. Financial independence is essentially what my book is about. It's essentially about living a good and meaningful life, having a purpose, being happier, and getting an early retirement plan for you and your family. I contacted a guy called Munnavator maybe nine months ago just to tell him I was writing a book. Eventually, he took an interest, he read the book, and he thought it was brilliant, and he gave me just the most amazing quote from my book blurb, which encapsulated what I was trying to do with the book without me knowing it. He invited me to do a guest post on his site last week, and I responded to all the comments on the blog and looked at the effect it was having in the back end of my measurement tool that tracks the sales of the book and where they're coming up. Yep. I then was approached by The Herald on Sunday. Now, The Sunday Herald's last edition was last Sunday, and this Sunday was its the first edition of The, the Herald on Sunday. So this is a Scottish national newspaper. It's the inaugural edition of this Scottish national yeah. newspaper. So it appeared, it was a double page spread, looked absolutely fantastic on the page. I told my mum, she went out and bought copies. <laughs> Earlier in the week, I'd shared a post on LinkedIn, I think, saying, Oh, I've got a post on this investing blog, motivate he's my hero, blah, blah, blah. I got about four likes. I shared the Herald on Sunday piece, I got about 63 likes. Mm-hmm. Now, do you want to know how many sales each contributed? Yeah, absolutely. Monovator made me 10 times more sales than a double page spread in a national newspaper, which yeah. I think tells us two things, the power of new media, but also an age old thing that you and I as age old PR people.
0: <laughs> Speak for yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, making good assumption there. We We know from time immem- immemorial, you know, it's, finding these niche publications that target the specific audience you want to reach. Yeah. So think of an innovator like a trade mag. It's just really, really well-read and well-engaged with trade magazine. Yeah. If I think about what, what I want to get out of a job, going digital, that's, You know, that's I, lo- I love writing, and I'm, digital gives me much better opportunities to write than traditional media ever did. My name's Helen Madden. I'm founder and director of Madden PR. There's several reasons that I find being a member really valuable. It gives me access to very quick training that's really cost effective and really current, which is so essential for the work that I'm doing in terms of social media and digital. It gives me access to other people in my industry in terms of being able to use them as sounding boards, And then also in terms of just making sure that I'm on top of the hot
0: topics of the industry. The Digital Download Membership Scheme gives you on-demand advice, support and coaching when you need it. With exclusive online training, video Q&As with topic experts and a members-only network to discuss all of the latest developments, it gives you the confidence and the peace of mind you need to succeed in digital communications. For full details of the membership scheme, visit paulsutton.co forward slash members. Going through this section, you outlined in that 25, I think it was 25 yeah. kind of tips for people who start this digital process, increase their their reputation and their digital profile. Yeah, There's just a few of them that I, I've picked out, which I, I found highly relevant. So the first one was making technology work for you, which it sounds like almost a hackneyed thing to me now, to me personally, because it's just innate behavior. But I know a lot of people out there who still don't use apps and and things in the way that they can. I'm assuming that that is something that, again, with you is just something totally innate.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always been really, in well, for the last five years, really into tools and technology yeah. and that sort of thing. I am not good at building Airfix models. <laughs> I avoid instruction booklets that arrive with my kids' presents and try and give it to my my brother-in-law when he comes at Christmas. <laughs> I'm not technologically savvy. Yeah. However, I see what all these things can do do for me and because the interface the user interface is so friendly i don't need to know coding i don't need to know this that and the other and it saves me so much time and also gives me so much more information i have this tool that tells me the sales and the projected sales minute by minute every author on Amazon. It tells me the competitiveness of each category in Amazon, so whether that's personal finance or self-help or whatever. It gives me an absolutely massive head start on any other author that doesn't know about this. And it's just a click of a button. It costs me 30 quid. It's invaluable. So discovering things like Chrome extensions and just cloud-based software that's really easy to use like i don't know mailchimp this technology also would have been the preserve of huge global pr organizations in the past i've now got an advantage over them yeah because they're not as quick as nimble or the decision-making structure is not as easy as me in my resolutely one-man band business. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they're probably not as willing to try things and fail and go on to the next thing. So actually, this technology, it just gives you a massive advantage.
0: And related to that as well, that whole experimentation and discovery thing you're talking about, one of your other tips out of this 25 was to read. And again, <laughs> I'm so fully behind this. I set aside every day time to read about, in my case, what's coming up in digital communications. Yes. And I get asked a lot, how How do you manage that? But it's just a case of, for me, that is part of my daily routine almost.
1: But I noticed, because we've gotten to know each other over the years, obviously, I noticed you change slightly. I, I don't know if it applies to how you read blog posts because I noticed when I get when I get you out of office, it says I won't be checking emails until two when I'll check yeah. them again at six. And do you do the same with your blog reading?
0: I set aside time. Yeah. So my habit is to set aside roughly half an hour to an hour, something like that every morning. So it's one of the first jobs I do when I sit down at my desk is to go through the latest news and the latest developments. And I use things like Nuzzle, which delivers to my inbox the most shared stories from the previous 24 hours from my social networks with a thinking, well, well, if something's been shared by a lot of people, then it must be relevant. And I subscribe to a lot of blogs and, and news sites. And I know you do it by email newsletter. My preference is by RSS feed, and I use Feedly for that. Yeah, But, but however you get this stuff, like you say, my habit is to siphon off some time and do it religiously every day. Because if you don't do that, I don't think you will ever keep up to date with stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also following the right people. You, you get to know the people that you click with and like and also yeah. are good at their job so i'm going to blow some smoke up your ass here but uh,
0: <laughs> go ahead
1: i mentioned you in the book this is why i changed from feedly and all sorts of bookmarking systems to yeah. email newsletters here we go this was until i read the facebook post a digital friend had written asking people how they found their best information Buried towards the bottom of 70 responses, he's a popular guy, (laughs) was an urging to simplify the process and have the best writing come to you, direct your inbox through the humble email newsletter. Because I know you on Facebook and your posts always get a lot of engagement, I noticed that immediately. I tracked down this post and one of your mates had gone against the tide of the whole of the 70 people on the thread, which... I always always sort of pricks my ears up. I like people who think differently and said he got your stuff from email newsletters. And that prompted me to start doing that and I've never looked back. Another example would be this morning, Richard Bailey had commented on, it was a listicle post, 11 top tips for writing a blog post, something I would never have looked at, but because Richard had said, oh, this is absolutely brilliant. You know, it's top stuff. And I, I like Richard and respect him. I looked at a blog post and I found a new person that I'll maybe subscribe to an email newsletter. So I think I make the point in the digital chapter, it's about riffing, going off at tangents, and it just increases your knowledge. And it's almost the people you begin to follow, they curate your news for you because you think, well, if they think it's good, I'll give it an audience. And often you think it's good too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Explain your fascination with index cards to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Evernote I've never got on with. Right. I eventually developed this ramshackle system of emailing myself things that I'd noticed or thoughts that I'd had. Yeah. But then you end up with this massive email inbox every day of maybe 20 marked unread emails. And I really like having an empty inbox. I, this was maybe three or four years ago, discovered this blogger and I I just gorged myself on his blog posts and actually changed the way I read on the back of it. Okay. Most of what I read is nonfiction, sort of narrative nonfiction or yeah. self-help books or business books, biographies. So what I think when i'm looking at a book is do i agree with this guy and how is that going to change what i think so i try and read a pricey first of what the book is all about then i'll be reading it and i'll be making notes in the margin and at the end of it when i've finished a couple of weeks later i'll revisit it and make a few notes again so he changed the way i read but he also has this amazing system any thought I'll have. I'll stick it on an index card, and then I'll catalogue it. In, for instance, when I was writing the book, I'd have a reset shoebox with subdividers in, and I'd be having my thoughts. I'd eventually be categorizing the thoughts with the subdividers, and then when I recategorize them because the book had changed in its content or chapters, you know, I I could then move the index cards around. So it's just a really, really good way essentially, of working out what you think about the world. Okay. And I, I think that's what we're, we're here to do.
0: See, I have this picture in my head of your house just being chopped full of shoeboxes that never get opened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I do have a lot of shoeboxes, obviously, so I'm at an advantage because I do a lot of running. <laughs> but I've also got this box that's like my master box. It's called a right. cropper hopper. Okay. And it's it's for artists to categorize things and has plastic subdividers. I would recommend it to anyone. That's like my master box, the most important one. But yeah, um, it's just a good way of working out what you think. And then surely that's important.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's difficult to argue against it, I have to say. So going back to the book, then you've self-published which I have huge admiration for, knowing what you've been through over the last 10 months. <laughs> so you wrote the book in under three months, but it's taken you another sort of, what, six months or whatever it is to to get the book to a point where it was ready to publish, yeah. which I think just shows the, in, a, in an odd sort of way, it shows the value of what publishers do. Yeah. How have you found the process of actually self-publishing and getting that book to a state where you were happy to actually let it go into the world?
1: God, that's a good question. It's definitely, I mean, I've done loads of different stuff in my life, including running marathons faster than I should for my age, which takes a lot of time, dedication, learning over a period of years. This is 10 times as hard as anything I've ever done. And I'm not sure if I'd recommend it in all honesty. however. As I was said throughout the book process, the proof of the pudding is in the eating and it is taking off. So the benefits, I would say, are the ultimate control. The disbenefits are you have to learn so many new skills. So I've had to learn how to write a book. It was 10 months, at least 40 hours a week. Three months of research, October to December. Two months of writing, so that was January, February. March to end of May, start of June, editing. Then two or three months of formatting, doing the index, making sure the references were tickety-boo and adding to them, adding a lot of the back matter and front matter, which is the intro and bibliography, that sort of thing. And then publishing. I guess in all that time, and this is probably the main lesson I've learned from the book, I probably spent about two weeks before publishing on marketing. That taught me what I feel, you know, anyone who's creating what is essentially a product should be doing. Forget about all the distractions. I mean, I could have spent all my time on Twitter and Facebook and focus on making your product as good as it possibly can be because the only marketing that's going to matter ultimately is word of mouth. And you're not going to get word of mouth unless your product is as good as you can make it. So yes, that might be doing us out of a job sometimes as PR people. But if we want to be seen, you know, we always talk in the industry about being at the top table, board level and Mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. Giving that sort of advice to a client who comes to you with a product that you know isn't quite there. You might lose the contract as a consultant, but you have to give—I feel—honest advice. So that's that's what I've the main lesson I've learned from the whole process.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, it's been really interesting talking to you, and, and once again, congratulations! on I think it's a fantastic achievement. And I encourage anyone listening to go out and get a copy because it is a, an amazing book. It's um, it certainly made me and my family think about things going forward. Where can people find you online? if they want to talk to you further about this.
1: My website is Zood PR. It was named after my kids, Zach and Jude. So that's Z-U-D-E-P-R. And on there, you'll find all the contact details for me. The best way to get in touch with me first up is probably email. And that's dave at Zudepr.co.uk.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you once again for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me.
0: You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered, or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter, where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.